0: Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com. I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E Now from there you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now on to our weekend message. Now, I have just one announcement. I'm really excited about this. I've got a couple of friends from Aruba. Come on up. And uh, these young ladies are a part of a really cool opportunity. Yeah, you can, a couple of people can clap. Just a couple. Um, <laughs> and um, they are... Uh, Daughters of, here you go, you can hold that, of a mother who has an awesome, awesome vision and ministry for single moms. And uh, their stepdad, Danny, is here as well. And so, ladies, go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Okay, My name is Valeria Gomez and... My name is Daniela, and what we do is that we have a brand called Vadavas. We call Vadavas because of the initials of each one of our names: Va Valeria, Da Daniela, Va Valentina is my other sister, and then the S is from my brother Sebastian. In the brand, what we do is that we design everything, and then we work with a purpose. We employ single moms, and we give them the opportunity for them to handmade all our jewelry from their homes, so they can. Spend more time with their children also they get like workshops about how to become better moms spiritual help how to cook better how to get better so they can make a better home for their children too and they can have a better vision about life and the opportunities that they, that they have
0: so originally you're from Colombia, yes uh, born there and then you uh, moved to aruba and um tell us a little bit about your mom and how she developed this this uh, jewelry making business and What does it mean for her and then as daughters for you?
1: Okay. (laughs) My mom, she used to be a single mom. That's why the idea of vadavas came from. She used to be a single mom at a very young age of four kids. And everybody told her to give us away. And that she wasn't going to make it because she didn't have nothing that the world tells you that you need to have in order to give your children a good future. So in midst of her... You know, um, and she didn't believe. She believed in God, but she didn't had any religion. She, in, in midst of her ignorance, um, she uh, actually acted, acted wise, and she decided to embrace us with courage, knowing that if God gives you something, it's because He will bring you through it in victory. And now, the reason why some people. Um, was telling my, telling my mom to give us away. Now is the reason the same because of us. They are asking, what did you do that your children are like that? And then my mom says, God, only God. So through this project, we only want to inspire moms to embrace their situations, to embrace their children, because God doesn't give you nothing that he cannot help you to go through it. And that everything that God puts in your life is actually a blessing. Also that the reason why you're scared today is the reason why you can be joyful and grateful tomorrow, and maybe also the reason why you can be an inspiration for others uh, today or tomorrow. You see, that was our story, and now we are inspiring other moms to not give up their homes. The same children that were told that the mom wasn't able to go and to give them a good future are the same same children that are are now inspiring other moms to not give up their children. So that's practically what we want to make with Vagavas.
0: Even though she did a good job, you still are required to say something. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) English is not uh, Spanish. You can speak in Spanish because some of us are here but um, but so so um, the vision is to come alongside mothers that are single to empower them, to strengthen them, to build self worth to uh, mother them, to teach them about God and the principles on how to mother their children, but also to provide uh, economics to provide yeah. a business and so um, you you 're the designers, yeah. and so just for a little reality check here, how old are you?
1: Uh, I am 20 years old.
0: Okay, and you are?
1: 19.
0: And your sister is? 17. 17. And your brother is?
1: 16.
0: 16. Okay. And they design all this jewelry. And then uh, you go and you get these moms to make it. They're able to stay in their homes. They're able to parent their children. They don't have to go out and farm their kids to someone else. They get to raise them. And plus, your mother comes along and shepherds them. And so you get to design all these things. I guess the question would be, why are you here? This is a long way from Colombia and a long way from Aruba. So what, what, what are you looking for right here? What's the prayer?
1: You can well, talk about Well, actually, that. we came here because uh, we love so much what we are doing. And we see how it can impact the life of so many single moms that we were encouraged. And we really love the U.S. And we want to look for someone in the U.S. that's willing and has a passion, motivation to do the footprint that we have in the U.S. here. Yeah. No, no, we don't have it in the U.S. I mean, there in a to
0: do it here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so that, that's the simple vision. So, if you're a single mom and um, you've walked through some of these struggles and journeys, uh, you know how hard it is to be uh, able to provide all of the things that are necessary. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, it's not an inexpensive place to live here in our community, and so we're looking for a mom or a couple single moms to catch the vision of what would this look like to do this here and to employ single moms here so they can stay home, so they can raise their children. And um, they have a a table that they're going to be out in the foyer. And if you are a single mom uh, and um, you come up to these ladies, they're going to give you a bracelet, one of the bracelets from their collection. It's a gift. It's It's a a, gift. mm -hmm. And that's just something to say thank you for you as a single mom and all the hard work you do. Uh, But also, if you are in that situation where you think this might inspire you, there's a little flyer there. You can go to the website um, and you can see all the information. They'll only be here for this service, the 11, and then the 1 o'clock Hispanic Congregation Service, uh, and then they fly out tonight. So please make yourself available to them and just hang out afterwards uh, in the foyer. let's give them a good hand to applause.
1: Thank you so much. It doesn't really have to be a single mom. Someone has
0: a passion. Okay. It doesn't actually have to be a single mom who leads it, but someone who definitely has a passion for single moms. Okay, that's good. All right. My wife and I are blessed to have three sons, and uh, as we walk the journey of parenting, we are firmly committed to raising them in a direction of knowing uh, where to base their foundation in their life. You think about it, where you get your foundation of truth really matters. And there are, at least for me, I see three options on that as a follower of Christ. One is society. You can ask yourself the question, what does our culture say? When we think about life, we know that our culture preaches a message. Uh, that we are surrounded by Communication, Whether it's music, movies, radio, literature, we get that our culture, our society, preaches a message. I'm not against that. I, I think it just is what it is. But if we're not careful, we'll be like the fish who wonder, what is water? We just never see it. But we're swimming in the middle of our culture. I think it's wise for us to examine our culture to see what society is saying, because if we base our foundation on culture, then I firmly believe that uh, there's a lot of shifting values. I'll talk about that in just a minute, because another way, another place to build a foundation is on the saints or the church. So what, what does the church say? What does the church teach? Um, you, you could go to your church. A lot of people are raised in church and the church has a message. And so you could just say, well, I believe what my church believes, but, but I would tell you this, that sometimes the church mirrors the culture. And if we're not careful, the church can shift its viewpoints to line up with whatever the culture and the saints say everything that society says. And so my wife and I, Mary Beth and I, we're committed to raising our kids asking, what does the Bible say? What does scripture say? What does Christ tell us? Because... Christ hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed his opinions. 2,000 years ago, he walked the earth and those truths, those scriptures, those stories were put down. And we still have those today in our Bibles. And in the 2,000 years, society has radically shifted. Oh, my goodness. I'm 52 at the end of this week. And in my years, society has radically shifted. And as well... Sometimes the saints, they don't get it right. We don't get it right. The the church sometimes shifts its views as well. The old parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, 4,000 years old, they're still the same. Well, the tension comes when what we look at the Bible and see what Jesus says seems really out of touch with today. We all admit this, right? This is a part of the tension. There's a pull of our culture to change what we believe about issues to completely redefine things so that we line up with what the world says. Now we always at sunrise want to preach a message of truth, but we want to preach a message of love as well. We want to be both grace and truth in the middle of the conversations that we all live in, in my lifetime issues like, um, marriage, divorce, sexuality, sexual identity, Uh, remarriage, singleness, those are all subjects that the culture has decided to redefine and many churches have said we go along with you and we redefine those or at least we don't go as far as the Bible says because that's old fashioned but we're kind of safely in the middle and without being naive at all my wife and I raise our sons with the, the mantra that says "You know, it always pays to do things God's ways It always does because he promises blessings, but those blessings only come from obedience and obedience is not always easy. In fact, it's rarely easy and we have to push and swim against a cultural stream that says, why don't you align yourself with us? Be the church that shifts away over toward us. And at sunrise, we don't want to be that way, but how do we communicate truth in love? And I hope today you hear that because today Jesus speaks about sexuality, marriage, divorce, remarriage, sexual identity, singleness, and all of these subjects are volatile in our culture today. But the Bible is really clear if you ask me, and I think the church has messed it up because we've taken some of these issues over the years, at least in the 50 some years I've been alive and and we have actually put labels on people and we've damaged people and we've hurt people because we've not spoken the truth in love. And so today, I hope you hear that. So Genesis is our foundation, but it comes from Jesus. So we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament. but We're going to start in Matthew 19. So Matthew 19, Jesus has been talking about when another believer sins, how do you deal with forgiveness? And he's done with that teaching. And it says this it says when Jesus had finished saying these things, after all his teaching, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea. Now, again, we understand this. If we've been here with Matthew, G- Galilee is in the north part of Israel It's where Jesus did most of his ministry teaching miracles, healing, all those things. And now he goes down to Judea. That's the region where Jerusalem is, where the religious leaders are from. And he's going to die there. And he knows he's going to die there. And in fact, in several scriptures, he's already telling his guys that ultimately he's going down to Jerusalem to die. They don't get it. But Jesus is on his way to the cross. And as he goes down, he heads to the area of the Jordan, which is east in Judea. It's where he was baptized, actually, where John the Baptist, John the Immerser did his ministry. Large crowds followed him there and he healed their sick. A little side note. I love this. This is a reminder to you and to me that we should never be so busy. We should never be so focused that we don't stop to minister to people. Again, my friends, Jesus was on his way to die. In fact, it says in one of the passages, he fixed his face toward Jerusalem, toward that cross. And and there was a lot of emotions when he went to the garden. We'll see that in months to come. When he looked in that cup of suffering, knowing what was going to happen on the cross, there was terror there. And he cried out to his father if there's any other way. But in the middle of all that, on his way to that, Jesus stops to heal people. May we always be the people that never get too busy to love. Never get too busy to heal, never get too busy to serve. No matter how big we think we are, how important we think we are, how pressured, how stressed we think we are, there are always people around us that need ministry. And Jesus does does that. Well, as he's doing this, some Pharisees come and try to trap him with a question. Again, the Pharisees are the religious teachers. They're the ones who hold the power of the Bible. And they easily beat people up with the Bible. And they were the ones that everybody would go to to ask the question. So the Pharisees are out communicating these messages of truth, but they're trying to trip up Jesus. They don't know he's going to die. They don't know all the, the future, but they just want to get rid of Jesus. So they try to test him again, trap him. They've done this before. So they ask him a question, which is a question that just settles at the foundation of what Jewish culture was all about. And that was the issue of marriage and the family social structure. So should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now I, and that seems an odd question. If you ask me, because we would think Jesus would just say, no, what are you stupid? You know what I mean? It's like, what do you really? You think a man should just be able to divorce his wife for any reason? Well, the reason this is a valid question they ask him was because in their day and age amongst the Pharisees, The religious teachers, there were two viewpoints. There was a conservative view that said, no, a man cannot divorce his wife for just any reason. In fact, if if she's not been immoral, sexually immoral, he cannot divorce her. Well, another group over here said, no, 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 you don't understand when, when, when this is really understood, uh, what God is saying that the man decides what is immoral and it could be as simple as burning the morning toast. And then he writes her off. Okay. I kid you not. I kid you not. Well, where does this all come from? Deuteronomy chapter 24. Um, we see this. It says here in verses one to two, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes her a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. So the religious people ask the question, what does this mean? What's really going on here? When he's discovered something wrong with her, it literally means something um, that violates something that could be immoral, something that is outside the bounds. And the, the conservatives said, well, that only applies to spiritual, I mean, to physical immorality. Uh, the, the other people would say, no, it applies to if just, she just doesn't please me anymore. If, if, if she doesn't, you know, if she's gained some weight or she's got some crow's feet or laugh lines, I, can, I just want to ditch her and get another one, right? And that, that's what was going on in the culture. Marriage was disposable, Uh, Today, we have this, I remember in the 70s, as a kid in California, no-fault divorce. We just have irreconcilable differences, right? Brad and Jennifer decide to separate, and it's just not working anymore, and they were like the Hollywood couple, and now they're not anymore. We just kind of know that. You could go for it for a while, but it won't always work, so you just separate. That's kind of how it was at the culture of Jesus. We live in the same kind of culture, surprisingly. Back then, even though they knew the Bibles, these were the people of God, they still separated themselves from what the practical teaching of the Bible was, and they went with the swimming tide of the culture, and they just went downstream. Well, so Moses says, you know, there could be a divorce. Okay, well, when you Think about this. What did this mean? I'm going to read this to you. This is a little geek note here. Okay, so you geeks in the room, you'll like this. This is the Mishnah. This is the actual teaching at the time of Jesus. This is where they got their extra truth. It's called oral traditions that were later on written down. Look at this. Rabbi Shammai says, A man should not divorce his wife unless he has found her guilty of some unseemly conduct. That's the conservative side. Rabbi Hillel, who's the more liberal, however, says that he may divorce her even if she has merely spoiled his food. Since it says, because he has found some unseemly thing in her. Now, check this guy out. Rabbi Akiba says he may divorce her even if he finds another woman more beautiful than she is. As it says, it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. Trophy wife right here. Okay. Seriously, that was that abused. Marriage was... So devalued for some in the religious culture at the time of Jesus, they said, um, if my heart just doesn't love her anymore, I can go my way. Now, what's important to understand is all this was spoken from a male perspective at the time of Jesus, the old Testament, new Testament was a male dominated culture. It was a patriarchal society. So the husband was the one in all power and authority. Wives could not divorce their husbands except in extreme, extreme circumstances. But men have the power and they can divorce their wives. But I want you to hear this. We don't live in that same culture. So what Moses says, what, what these folks say, and what Jesus is going to say, we can use it either way. A man versus a wife in that in that context, but everything is spoken from a male culture. All right. So this is the conversation and that's why the rabbis or the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, what do you believe? Are you conservative or are you liberal or did you fall off the table? Right? You know what I mean? And you so far in the hole that just get the next wife. Right now in the context of this, this is a really important question, but what Jesus does next, I think is, is amazing. It's what we should always do. Ask the question, what does the Bible say? And so that's what Jesus asks. He says this. Haven't you read the scriptures? Actually, I think he kind of jabs him a little bit when he says this. Because they're the, they're the religious people. They're the scripture people. They knew the Bible better than anybody, right? And it's what an insult, you know, to them. Haven't you read the scriptures? This is what the scriptures say. They record... That from the beginning, now Jesus is quoting Genesis 1, 27, goes back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, 27, that God made them male and female. In that verse, it's told... That when God created man, he created man, Adam, out of the dust, the dirt, and, and it, the, even the name Adam, Adam, it implies red or ruddy, and, which explains a whole lot about guys when we get dirty, right? And kids, like moms with your boys, they were made of the dirt, let them play in the dirt, okay? Um, but but he didn't make women that way. He took a side, a part out of Adam and made the woman Eve. and And I think that... Elevates a woman's value a lot more than our world often does a lot more than even churches do because she was taken out of his side to be an integral part of his life, not to be a servant of his wasn't, you know, taken out of his feet, you know, wasn't taken off his head to rule him out of his side for companionship. And, and so in the beginning, we were made in the image of God. And even though we know we've fallen short of that, we've all sinned, the Bible says. And, and there's a lot of sin and brokenness in our relationships and marriages. At the very beginning, God had a vision. And that he created man and he created Woman, And it says here, and this is Genesis 2.24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Or, or today we could say a, a wife leaves her mother and father is joined to her husband. And the two are united into one. That's the quote from Genesis 2.24. And then Jesus adds this. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart or separate what God Has joined together. I love that. What God has joined together. I've married untold, countless number of couples in the years I've been a pastor. But I didn't join them. God joined them. Whenever I sit with couples that are thinking about getting married, I'm I'm doing that currently for a wedding in January. I don't do a lot these days. I used to do a whole lot. One year I did six weddings and six funerals. It almost killed my marriage and me. Okay. Um, but, but we have a lot of people that are trained to do that now. Um, but whenever I sit with a, a young man, a young woman, and they talk about getting married, I always go back to this passage that Jesus goes to Genesis two twenty four because I think in that simple little verse, there are three key ideas that would help any marriage. In fact, I could state this as a pastor and as a counselor that all of the struggles I've ever seen in marriage. All the times I've met with a husband, a wife, or both together to talk about these things. All the troubles stem from one or both not doing what Jesus says right here. Half of all my premarital counseling sits in Genesis 2.24. Because in Genesis 2.24, it's the ideal vision that God gives for marriage. And so I, I think I thought I'd be remiss if I didn't take a few moments to do some of this. And some of you have been married years. Just think about the premarital counseling that you didn't receive. And we're going to give you some right now. Okay, take a look at this. What does it mean to leave? Well, that's, that's step one, to leave. Now, the Hebrew word for leave back in Genesis carries uh, what we'll call connotations or images that go along with it. The word was used in several ways. It meant to loosen, which Implies authority. So to loosen, to to loosen this, to leave, to uh, authority, moms and dads, you have to no longer be the authority in your kids' lives. Now, this is important. You're always to honor your mother and father. There's nothing around that. You can't, there's no escape clause in that. Honor your father and mother. But when you're when you're out, you're on your own. You don't have to obey them anymore because you are now in your own family You're your own mother or father or husband or wife. Right. But the idea is that if you don't, as a young man or young woman, get out from under, get the loosening of the apron strings, cutting them, actually, then you'll never be your own family. You'll never be your own couple. It means to depart, which is an issue of locality, and it means to actually leave. And 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 you know, I, I found out I offended people in the last service, but I'm, I'll offend it. You, you know, some people, I guess, by saying this: that if you are a mom or dad today, and you have a son or daughter, and they're going to get married, don't let them live with you after they're married. Don't, please, don't, don't do that, for your sake and for their sake. Don't let them live in the basement. Don't let them live in the garage. Don't let them live in a spare room. And if they're already out of college, start then. Okay. All right. Here's why you will never allow your son or your daughter to go through the difficulties of what it takes to really be an independent person in life. If you don't cut away and literally let go of them. You you let them go away. You have to abandon. You're no longer the responsible party. Because I'll tell you this. If they eat macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and tuna fish, they're not going to die. They're not. They're just not. They might be embarrassed. And they're going to look at your big screen TV and your fancy SUV and your really spacious home and go, but it's not fair. I have a 600 square foot apartment. It's like tough, get out, start on your own because I mean, seriously, because here's what happens. They look at you and they go, I want all that. Oh, you didn't get it all like that. All right. It takes work. And that's a part of marriage that if you short circuit moms and dads, you're not helping them, you're hurting them. Okay. Nobody paid me to say that. In fact, some of you will write me emails, but that's the truth. Okay. All right. Let them go. Show them the door in love, in love. They're not going to die. Okay. All right. They may say they are, but they're not. They're just going to get tough. Okay. Which is good. Okay. So you have to leave. You have to leave. Also, you have to join. So you leave and then you join. What does it mean when it says join? Well, again, in Hebrew, the connotations, the way the word was used, it meant to pursue. It's like the idea of chasing. I tell young couples and guys in particular, I said, always, always date your spouse. Find a way to date your wife. Do whatever it takes to keep budding that romance. Just keep giving birth to it. It kind of comes and goes. I get it. But keep Pursuing, Keep chasing your spouse. Keep going after. Because love can grow old. Love can grow stale. Those emotions aren't always there. So always do that. It doesn't have to be fancy. My wife and I go on date nights every week, and they're not fancy, but they're just time for us. And we just get away and look at each other, introduce ourselves again. Hi, my name is. You know what I mean? It's like we just kind of, it was like, oh, that's who you are. Yeah, that's right. Because life gets crazy. Life gets busy. Always date your spouse. To be joined together It's the idea of catching. And, and so for us to be joined together, my wife and I had to develop some hobbies together. Originally, when we were newly married, she was into scrapbooking. I hated scrapbooking. You know, she was, I was into video editing. She hated video editing. So we got in, in the little bedroom there. We put some desks together where we faced each other and we did those together. All right. And then she'd show me some things she made. I showed her some things I made and it it was okay. Well, but then we started developing some hobbies together. Now we run together, we do things together, but the idea is you have to realize you're two people. So you have to work at joining together develop some common interests and goals to keep fast together. It's the issue of holding. And in the Bible, there's this word is used in a pretty cool way to talk about armor that was connected together. It's like welding. You take two pieces of steel, you weld them together. They're they're together. They're one piece now. And they're joined with such a strong joint that it's just one piece. It's stronger together. That's the idea. And finally to make inroads into it's the issue of growing. It's like two vines that begin to grow. Row in the garden, up a trellis or up a wall. And after a while, they so intertwine that you don't even know which one is which, right? And if you were to take one of them away, you would cause major struggles and pain and disruption and maybe even death to the other. So that's what the Bible says. Now, it's important to realize this. You don't just leave and you're done. I think you need to keep leaving because in life, there will always be things that attach to you and cause you to slow down. You have to constantly work at leaving things that would keep you from your wife, and you have to constantly work at pursuing what would take to join together. And then, God says, one plus one equals one. Then you become one flesh. And this is what the Bible talks about with one flesh. First of all, it's a covenant. It's an issue of a commitment. It's till death do you part. I I know, I know it doesn't always work, but, but let's go to the original vision, the original model till death do us part. My wife and I used to joke, we don't believe in divorce, murder, maybe, but not divorce. Okay. It was a joke. It was a joke. Okay. Um, and, and we'd laugh because we're saying we're in this forever, no matter what happens. Okay. Because, you know, life can get difficult consummation It's the issue of sexual union. Um, I put I put this I'm reading through uh, Romans right now in the message and I, I, I really enjoyed this and I got to Corinthians and I'm loving the way Paul is saying these things. I put this on Facebook. This is from first uh, Corinthians 6:16 to 17. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact as is written in scripture. The two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. That kind of sex can never make us one. So there's something mysterious about this physical union. And, and when husband and wife come together, it's more than just the physical, but, but that is part of it. But finally, it's a companionship. It's the idea of partnership that you are together and you grow old together. And so what God has envisioned in Genesis 2, 24, and then what Jesus came back to as the answer is that a a man or woman should leave and then be joined and then becomes one flesh. And that is a lifelong journey, my friends. Now that's the vision. That's the ideal. Um, But what happens if it doesn't work? Because we all know that sometimes it doesn't work. That no matter how much one partner pursues, That sometimes the other partner doesn't, or, or there's, you know, there's problems to go around, you know, what what, isn't divorce an option? Well, that's the obvious question. And so therefore that's what the, the people bring up. The disciples bring up this issue. So why did Moses say in the law, these are the Pharisees actually, that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. Now in Deuteronomy, when it says this certificate of divorce, it's actually a document of cutting. That's how serious God sees this. A document of cutting. So why did Moses allow it? Good question. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. In other words, marriage can be the best part of your life or it can be the worst part of your life. And we have people that can testify to both. But ideally it was supposed to be this oneness. And and yet we know because of the sinfulness in our lives, the brokenness in our lives, the hardness in our hearts, sometimes it doesn't work the way we envision it or God envisioned it but it was not what God originally intended he didn't intend to give an escape clause but he knows, he knows our frailty and our weakness and I tell you this whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful so here now Jesus gives what we would call an open door an open door If if, if your spouse has been sexually unfaithful to you that gives you an open door but I tell you this and I counsel folks on this Just because you have an open door doesn't mean you have to go through it. It doesn't require you to go through it Um, because maybe there's hope. Maybe there's healing. And we've seen a lot of that Uh, now. Now, a little bit later in in Corinthians, the apostle Paul gives one more open door. And he says, if you uh, are married to a non-believing spouse and they leave you, you're free. You're free. You can remarry. You're not bound to that. If that belie- now, but even Peter later on says that you know what? As a believer in a relationship with a non-believer, your your way of life might actually lead to this person's salvation. So I, I never just say, "Oh, you're married to non-believer. Split. No way." Pursue intimacy with God in such a way that it might draw them, but it doesn't always. I know that. Sometimes they leave. So that's what Jesus says. This is the teaching. And it's a hard teaching. It really is a hard teaching. It's easy to stand up on a platform and say these words. And then you sit with people. And it's messy. It's painful. It's difficult. And I I remember as as a young person... Seeing my parents' marriage and wanting to develop some, you know, some dreams for my own future marriage. And then as a single person, I was single till 30 thinking, I don't want to just get married because that could be a disaster. You know, I want to get this right in my own heart. And then the disciples bring up a good question. I think it's great. Look what they say. Well, if this is the case, meaning it's as hard as this, is it better? It's better not to marry. Well, not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. In other words, and Paul later affirms it, Paul was single his whole life, Jesus was single. Singleness is great. Singleness as an option, if that's what God calls you to, is awesome. Now, here's what he says here. Um, only those whom God helps, I mean, not everyone can accept this, but only those, whom, some people have been called to be celibate. Now, when you take a spiritual gifts test, nobody gets excited to go. Hey, I got the gift of celibacy. Yay. <laughs> no, you want like I want tongues or miracles or something, you know, what? A, you know, nobody wants that one. Nobody wants the gift of giving either that, you know, that's painful. Um, but, but, but Jesus says God calls them to this and he comes along and he becomes their spouse in essence. And that's a good thing. But not everybody's called to that. And then he says this some are born eunuchs, and the word eunuch has a um, semantic range, excuse me. Um, And it could mean anything from literally being castrated. To, uh, to the other side, which means something like, uh, deciding to be single. Okay. So it could be a physical, could also be, uh, a, a spiritual decision here. All right. And so he uses the word eunuch. Some have been made eunuchs by others. Uh, some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven and any he closes, let anyone accept this who can. So Jesus honors singleness, for many, many, many years, the church, especially in the middle ages, they, they swung the pendulum so far that marriage was dishonored. Sex was dishonored. It was dirty. It was filthy. Only singleness to be a nun or to be a monk, to live in a monastery. You know, that was the ideal. Then you really love God, but that was swinging the pendulum far too much on the one side. And then today I would say that To be honest with you, most churches swing it so far on this side that if you're not married, you're not a real person. And that's not healthy either because that's not how God sees it. He has called each of us to a pathway and it could be singleness. It could be marriage. It could be singleness for a long time. And then marriage, we don't really know, but God is going to be there to guide you and to help you. But what I've just shared, I hope, I hope you've heard it in love. I hope you've heard. This is the intent. God has a vision. But you and I know when we look in the mirror we're sinful people. We're broken people. We can easily point fingers and blame other people. But if we're honest, we should be pointing at our own hearts because even we don't live up to the ideal. And it's a struggle. What do we do? If we're going to obey the commands of Christ, ask what does the scripture say? Like Jesus said, Yet we live in a culture, in a society that says something entirely different. Well, how do we live with that? How do we walk that path? How do we walk that journey? This last spring, uh, an email popped up on my computer and it started a great relationship, a great friendship. And it started a journey asking the question, well, what does the scripture say? And so I've invited my friend Carrie to come up and we're going to tell a little story. So come on up, sir. There you go, my friend.
2: Fancy meeting you. I know this
0: is the third time. <laughs> and if Nelson catches you, you might do it in his service too. All right. All right. In Spanish. All right. Oh, not, not So, not um, so uh, give us a little indication. Tell us a little bit who you are, what you do.
2: Sure. So your pastor just handed a microphone to a lawyer. (laughs) He he, he may never get it back. (laughs) Uh, No, my name is Kerry Shepard. I am a lawyer. I've been practicing for about 27 years. I um, have three wonderful children, adults, wonderful Christians, and I was married for 26 uh, years. I've been divorced now for six, Um, and I accept most of the blame for that. but um, but that's that 's where I was uh, when I approached uh, you last spring with the question, really which was what 's next uh, biblically I wanted to wanted answers um, as to really w- where I should go from from there and um, He didn't give me all those answers. No,
0: well, you're a lawyer, so I thought you'd be looking for loopholes or something. Um, By the way, you know, we are going to change our our statement. We love the least, the last, the lost, and And the lawyers. lawyers. Okay. Um, Because if there's anybody that people don't like, no, just teasing. I've got a really good friend who's a lawyer. He's one of our trustees, so a few people can be lawyers and Christians. That's for obvious sake. Um, so, So you came with this question, which is a great question. You know, what What does God want for the rest of my life? And that's not just a theoretical question. And I didn't want to just give you an answer, because that's a cheap answer, I think. We just walked through a journey. So what did we end up doing? And in the process, what did you discover?
2: Sure. Well, um, <clears throat> naturally, I, I wasn't just looking for an answer. I, I wanted more to, to go on a journey and try to understand this. And I appreciate you doing that with me. We spent um, many Saturday mornings together. Um, uh, studying a book and related verses um, called Divorce and Remarriage, for Christian Views. Um, the, the title probably gives away the fact that this is not a black and white area because we have four highly credentialed Bible scholars who are giving me in this book four um, uh, different views. One, if I could just summarize uh, uh, was on the extreme saying no, uh, absolutely no justification for divorce and no justification for uh, remarriage. Well, thank you very much. Uh,
0: Go your married way. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Another was, well, okay, there are some narrow circumstances where, um, as you pointed out, uh, divorce is possible, but absolutely no right to remarriage ever. Uh, And then the third was a little more broad, okay? So we can find some circumstances for divorce and circumstances for remarriage. And then there was the grace point of view, which was uh, there are a myriad, a plethora of examples where, yeah, we can justify uh, divorce and remarriage. So uh, that's all a little confusing to a lawyer. Um, uh, And so to follow up on your last question, really, which was what did I take away from all of this? Um, I concluded that I was asking James the wrong question. Um, you know, what I took away is two, two concepts that are important to me. Um, not to give advice, because I'm probably the worst person here to give advice on marriage, right? But I took two, two takeaways. One is uh, forgiveness, and I'll, I can talk about that. And the other is um, service uh, to our God. So with regard to forgiveness... Um, If we back up one chapter in Matthew to Matthew 18, which you preached on last week, um, Jesus emphatically taught about forgiveness, and um, and thank goodness for that, right? Um, But forgiveness in the divorce context has a number of layers in my personal experience. Um, You know, we have the grace of God, so that's the the starting point, but... When people are married for 26 years and they divorce, there's a lot of forgiveness that needs to happen between the two of them. And um, thankfully that has happened. Um, and then there's children, of course. And I have three lovely children and um, wonderful Christians, um, great relationships with them. And uh, But forgiveness from the children I think is very important, um, and we need to ask for that. Um, and then finally, we re- need to be introspective here, look inward, um, and see if we can't forgive ourselves. And that's a lot easier said than done, but um, you know, God commands that we are to forgive from the hearts as he has forgiven us, and that is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And then um, above and beyond that, um, the, really the wrong question I was asking is what, what's next. It's the right question is, well, how can I serve Christ? Um, if I can serve Christ best, in his eyes, exactly where I am right now, and that is being a divorced man, well, that's exactly where I need to be. And I need to be content and joyful and just serve God in that context. Yeah. Um, conversely, if he decides at some point that, you know, there's something else out there, then i highly confident God will tell me that. Um, and that's where I am.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you, first of all, for just not wanting an easy answer, but for doing the hard work, as confusing as it was. Because, again, what the saints say, what the church says, sometimes uh, they argue with each other, and they use verses to beat each other up. And we never want to do that at all. But ultimately, you had to come down to, I think where I've come down to, what does the Bible say? What's the wisest choice of action for people out there, but even for people right here? So what do we do? Um, is there just one thing perhaps you could say to people? And then I want you to pray because there's a lot of people in our midst that are in your situation or considering they've been through it. Um, and there there's, there's ache and there's pain. There's a need for forgiveness from the past, a need for purpose for the future. What could you say?
2: Well, lawyers have a hard time just saying one thing. <laughs> um, you know, I would say that marriage is a gift, um, It's a precious gift. Treat it as such. Um, Nurture that relationship. Um, Don't let it go uh, easily. Um, But if you find yourself in my situation, um, don't angst about what's next in terms of these earthly relationships. Focus on things that are eternal.
0: Good, good. Thank you. Why don't you pray?
2: Do that. Thank you, Lord, for... um, just for the honor of being able to serve you exactly where we are in the circumstances we find ourselves. Um, For those here who um, find themselves in broken relationships, um, we just pray that um, you will help them through the loneliness, the heartache. Um, We know, Lord, that you understand um, all of that. and uh, We just ask for your grace. Uh, We pray, dear Lord, that this church will put its arms around uh, all of us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves and uh, give us those opportunities to serve and grow and just um, be closer to Christ. In
0: Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you give uh, Carrie Hand for sharing this with us? Damon in Virginia. Are here somewhere, in our midst, somewhere. Oh, there they are, over there. You move around every service. It's like you know, whack a mole. I don't know where you're gonna come up. So, um, so Damon and Virginia lead our divorce care ministry. It's very, very awesome ministry, and you're dealing with that concept of what do we do? How do we recover from divorce? What are the issues? What are the options? And I want to thank you for doing that. You've done it for six years now. You yourselves have gone through divorce, and you're you're married, and so you're the perfect people to walk people through the journey. So what my request is for you is if you do want to talk to someone, Carrie will be available to talk if you're one of the guys, or Damon and Virginia, because they lead this ministry. You're kind of in the middle right now now of divorce care in one of the groups, and they would be the perfect folks to talk through. So they'll be right up here afterwards. Thank you guys so much. One of the things that, you know, I often say, and it's, it's a, it's, it's just something from my own heart. You got to realize the Bible does clearly say that God hates divorce. That's very clear. Um, But he doesn't hate divorced people. And one of the things that the church has done throughout the seasons is make divorce the unpardonable sin. And it's not. It is not. There, there is recovery available, there is health, there is healing available. But it's painful because when a husband and wife come together, when, when a, a man and woman come together and they join together after they've left, the Bible says there is a process that is a mystery, but what happens is the two become one. And it's incredibly painful to try to un what God has made One. And and some of you know that. You know the pain of only being half here. And you know the pain and the struggle of that. And, you know, I want want to say this. Our church loves you. And we walk this journey with you. Uh, I want to close with this picture. I was a little kid. June 22nd of 1969, about a month before uh, the men landed on the moon my grandparents' house. We were living with grandma and grandpa, I think, and we're, we're there visiting, and he's got, he loves Life Magazine, Time Magazine, all those things. And uh, this picture shows up. And I remember seeing it, and there were other pictures, um, but the story was this. Um, in Ohio, in Cincinnati, um, the Cuyahoga River caught on fire. Now, what's fascinating about that is for 100 years, 99 years, I think, Businesses, industry, citizens of Cleveland had been dumping all their toxic waste in the river. They dumped so much waste that there was nothing living. It wasn't even possible for anything to live in the Cuyahoga River. And it was said that the river didn't flow, it oozed. And people didn't drown, they decayed. But, you know, that's what you do, right? You just dump stuff in a river. You just throw garbage in a river. You throw your toxins. You throw your waste. Nobody knew at the time, seemed to care. And for several you know, times, at least 10 recorded times, the river had caught on fire and it burned. And in 1910, in fact, it's written in the paper. They said that the best way to clean up the river is to light it on fire and let the toxins burn. Now, you and I know today that is not healthy. In fact, it was the final incident in 1969 that sparked um, what we now know as the Environmental Protection Act and the agencies and clean water. It's it's a a thing that came out of such unbelievable pain and suffering. Nothing could be alive. Now, and I see this as a kid and I see this and I I look at this and I think about this and over the years it becomes a metaphor uh, for my own family. And as a, as a, kid who grew up in a home where there was a lot of anger and a lot of, you know, abuse and frustration and things like that, a dad that was always spewing out these things. And I mean, it went back and forth. You grow up with this and you just, you just try to hide yourself. You try to protect yourself. Here's what I would say that whatever you could do, stop spewing the garbage, quit throwing the toxic waste in. You get some kind of healing, you get some kind of counseling, but you stop. Because if you keep doing it one day, one day it'll catch fire and it won't go out. It'll burn and burn and burn. And God doesn't have a vision for your marriage to be like that. We all have many struggles. There's no question. None of our marriages are perfect. My marriage to my wife, it's not. I'm usually most of the problem right there. You know, your marriage isn't perfect. There are struggles, but let's not keep dumping garbage and throwing stuff. That's toxic toward each other. Let's be the church that finds healing in our marriages One of the things that pains me to no end is when men and women come to me and their marriage is finally over and they go, what do you have for me? I'm like, well, if you'd have come three years ago, we had our divorce care class that you could have sat through and that would have warned you. We would have had our love and respect class that you could have really made some changes. You would have seen through biblical portrait of marriage and on and on and on. You could have come and we would have walked with a journey. So here's what I'm saying to you. Do it now. Change the course of your marriage. Change the flow of your marriage and be the kind of marriage that doesn't end up like this, constantly burning toxins. Have the nerve, have the courage, have the guts to email us, to sit, sit afterwards with Damon and Virginia, with Carrie and just say, okay, I got to be honest. All we know is spewing toxins. All we know is dumping garbage. We would love to help you because I believe this, that there's a vision of a church and people who go to this church that are trying their best to swim against the stream of culture and toward the words of Christ. And the world needs to see that. They need to see not that we preach a message, but that we live a message. Amidst the pain and the sorrow, I get it, it hurts. Let's be that message. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to just bring honor to you. Bring honor to Jesus and the words he said. difficult as those words are maybe as painful as they are so father guide us to speak the truth in love to be the arms the hands the embrace of christ internally in our church externally in our community to give people hope not condemnation to give people a future not just to struggle with the past to experience forgiveness but then to walk a new journey we pray this in christ's name